Turn in your Bible anywhere you want. <laughs> Try Philippians if you want to. I mean, that's where I'm going to read. If you want to stay with me, I'd appreciate it. Let me read to you my greatest Christmas gift that I had this year. It wasn't in a card. It wasn't money. It wasn't a gift certificate. Wasn't a phone call, it was this letter. And I want to share it with you. They said I could. Because you know, the most important thing you can ever do is invest in people's time, in the people's lives. Sometimes you wonder if anything you say sticks. Sometimes you have to leave to find out if Somebody really got what you said. Like having teenagers. You like to believe that you are the best parents in the world. And you know that day comes when you're scared to death that they got to turn them loose and see if what you taught will stand. That's scary. And it's the same thing with God's people. It'd be great if we could protect everybody all the time. Put you in a nice house, you know, a hothouse environment where... Nothing from outside can get to you. Protect these precious little plants. And yet sometimes you have to let them hit it. See whether or not what you taught is going to suffice. Anyway, he wrote this to me. This is a young man that has a wife and two little children. He says, Yankee, I have been meaning to write this for quite some time. I have had you on my mind for a while, and I should have done this before now. I want to tell you how much you mean to me. I know you are humble and that you probably think nothing of it, but you have done so much for me and my family. Let me start by saying I have never known anyone with such a burden for lost people. Your desire to lead people to the Lord is so great because of that. You led Shannon to the Lord, and who then led me. I truly miss being at Northside and getting to hear you preach. I have never heard anyone teach the way you do in such a simple and easy-to-understand manner. I know this is not easy, and I remember hearing you say, being simple to understand isn't easy. I have learned so much from you that has helped me in my daily life that I thank you for because of the gospel being presented in a clear way. Both me and Chrissy were able to trust Christ as our Savior. Now in turn we led Abby to the Lord and we'll start on Jace when he is old enough to understand. Having to be at another church and under another pastor has showed me that I took things for granted. I was blessed with you as my pastor and should have thanked you then. I never realized how much I was learning and being showed. In this day and age, I miss all the things we had at Northside back then, especially how everyone has such a desire for the lost. 
I just take for granted that you would always be there and that I would get to hear such good teaching and instruction. I know the Lord has led you to a new ministry and things have been going well there. I knew that the Lord would put you where you will be best used for his honor and glory. And this is how it should be and is right. But know that you are truly missed by us here. I think about you a lot and miss you deeply. All this being said, I just wanted to express how much you are missed and loved by me and my family and how much you meant to us. I pray that the Lord blesses you and that you are fruitful with the new school. I pray that the Lord leads many new opportunities your way. I did not mean to dwell in the past or to be downhearted in any way because I know the one thing will never change is that there will always be change. The Lord has put you where you can serve him best, and I am so happy for you. Anytime you are up this way, please come by and see us as you are always welcome at my house. May God bless you in all you strive to do for him. Thank you so much for all you have done for me and my family. And that was from Michael C. Graves and Chrissy. They trust the Lord through our ministry up there. And sometimes you wonder what's going on in the lives of other people and you don't see them for a while. That might be just a letter for you, but that's a, a powerhouse letter to me. It makes serving the Lord so much worth it. When you begin to have questions and doubts, remember the greatest power in your life is the influence that you have in the lives of somebody else. That as you lived your life, are you impacting other people's lives? You'd like to think that everybody stays the same, that people don't change. In a sense, change their doctrine. But you know that happens too. You see, what you believe today, you didn't always believe. And there may come a time down the road where you won't believe what you now believe. Do you actually believe that it's possible for everything you now believe, for you not to believe? It's possible. I want to read just a simple thing to you. Because this affects home, it affects us. But, you know... Before I get there, I always like a little humor. I don't know if you've heard about the Afghan quarterback or not. The coach had put together the perfect team for the Chicago Bears. The only thing that was missing was a good quarterback. He had scouted the colleges, Canadian, European leagues, couldn't find a ringer that he thought could ensure a Super Bowl win. You know, we're coming up to some of that here pretty soon. One night while he was watching CNN, he saw a war zone seen there in Afghanistan. In one corner of the background, he spotted a young Afghan Muslim soldier with a truly incredible arm. He threw a hand grenade straight into the 15-story window 100 yards away. He threw another hand grenade 75 yards away right down a chimney. 
Then he threw another one at a passing car going 90 miles an hour. Bullseye. He said, I got to get this guy. He has the perfect arm. So he brings him to the States, teaches him the great game of football, and the Bears go on to win the Super Bowl. You didn't probably hear about all of this. The young Afghan is hailed as the great hero of football. And when the coach asked him what he wanted, all the young man wanted was to call his mom. He said, Mom, I just won the Super Bowl. I don't want to talk to you, said the Muslim woman. You're not my son. I don't think you understand, Mom. I just won the greatest prize in all of sports. And I've got thousands of adoring fans. No, let me tell you, the mother said. At this very moment, there's gunshots all around us. The neighborhood is in a pile of rubble. Your two brothers were beaten within an inch of their life last week. And your sister has to stay inside lest she gets raped. And then she tearfully said, I'll never forgive you. Never forgive you for making us move to Chicago. Don't you feel better already? Making us move to Chicago. And buddy, Chicago is the gun law capital of the world. And it's one of the worst places to live. So, anyway. I want to share this with you. There's a man. I don't know if I've met him or not. I, I may have. Name is Rance Darity. He posted online on the discussion group of the Florida Bible College Alumni Association. He submitted what he called his biblical salvation. He mentioned several things, but one of the points that he made was the announcement of the gospel. Now, he had gone to Florida Bible College years ago. The announcement of the gospel, repent, come unto me, believe, confess, turn, follow me, submit, give allegiance, receive him, forsake all else, become a disciple. Now you and I might listen to that and say, now is that what you have to do for salvation? And you would say, no, that is not the gospel. Now, he didn't always believe this, but he now believes this. But you say, well, why would a person believe something like this? Well, he says, the disagreements we have on this list seems to be mostly in the area I have entitled the announcement of the gospel. Some seem to think that because Christians use different words to announce the gospel, they are putting the gospel at risk unless it is stated in terms of faith only. Texts like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and Romans 11, 6 are presented as proof that any presentation that is not clear on the concept of grace and our faith violate the truth of the gospel. Others of us see no contradiction at all. In other words, we say that you're saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, for eternal life. And that's all that you have to do. 
And you can know that you have eternal life. When you add anything other than just by faith alone, it becomes a works salvation without any securities, without any guarantee. It means that now you have to hope that you're going to heaven because it depends upon your performance. But if it's by faith alone, in Christ alone, then you know that it um, can be a sure thing because it's based upon what he said and what he did. He makes this statement. The reason, in my views, lies in confusing the grace of the gospel with the message of the gospel. That's confusing in and of itself. He makes the statement, when a person turns and seeks to follow Christ, grace is in action. When a person repents, grace is in action. When a person believes, grace is in action. All these various responses, he says, is just different ways to preach the gospel. Now, I have a problem. He says, in fact, there are many ways to preach Christ and salvation as there are people to preach them. Some of us lean hard upon the book of John. Others on the synoptic gospels. Others upon Acts. Others upon Paul's writings. Yet in all, God works. Sometimes we sound the note of forsaken sin. At other times we sound the note of counting the cost. At other times the note of the freeness of the gospel. But all the elements share in the one true gospel founded upon the work of Christ. In this, let us all unite. We're not on the same page. Now understand at Calvary Community Church, when we teach that you're saved by grace, it means that you're not saved by your works. We're not saved by a combination of how much grace and how much works. A little faith and a little work, just in case. We believe that our only hope is in Christ and Christ alone. That there is no other hope. There is no other gospel. There is no other salvation. What causes a person to get so far off base? You say, well, everybody stays the same, not in their theology. This is why you may come here and you've heard Dr. Hank Lindstrom for years. I'm here, pretty much the same thing. We teach the same. But did you know that you can go to a lot of churches? Now, it usually starts off like this. They're not as clear as we are, but, but. Then they butt it all over the place. If it's not as clear, why would you go there? But let me share this with you. He writes and he says, My early religious life was in the context of the Southern Baptist denomination. Here often heard about heaven and hell and death and resurrection of Christ and the need to come to him. So I was converted at a, as a 16-year-old kid. Off to university. Here he fellowshiped with Christians of all different backgrounds, active in the student union, campus crusade for Christ, 
we reached out to non-Christians and shared the four spiritual flaws, uh, laws. In other words, God has a wonderful plan for your life. That is not how I start off with lost people. God has a wonderful plan for your life. The only plan God has for anybody is life. You get saved. After you get saved. Now, as a child of God, God has a wonderful plan for your life. But you see, to get saved has nothing to do with your life. Just temporary little time here. We're talking about where you're going to spend eternity, and that is important. Then he says, off to Florida Bible College through a friend who was preparing to go to Vietnam. I heard about FBC. Sounded good to me. I transferred, eventually bringing along with me Ed Sutton, Kenny somebody, Jim Scudder, Bill Adams. Remember he mentioned Bill Adams the other last week? Jim Scudder that was here. So there's other people that went to the same university and wound up transferring down to Florida Bible College. Anyway, he says, here I learned the FBC way of witnessing. I sounded like a recording of A. Ray Stanford. I was quite good at holding my own, but one soon a young seminary student wouldn't crack. So he says, a cousin from Grace Theological Seminary held firm that repentance did not mean merely changing one's mind. I was frustrated because I knew he was a genuine brother in Christ and therefore, his view on repentance changed. Off to Pennsylvania. And then he says in verse number 5, I became a five-point Calvinist. Red author pink and Puritans like crazy began to realize the FBC way might not be the right way. The FBC way was just simply the Bible way. FBC way was the Bible way. It's what did the Bible teach. It's just what we learned at Florida Bible College. And then he says, decided to attend Grace College in Indiana. Here I began to take seminary courses as an undergraduate student. By this time, I was quite sure the FBC was just one way among many other good ways. So then he says he launched into the Bethany Fellowship, a church still operative. And going strong, I converted others to Calvinism and to the Plymouth Brethren style of church fellowship. Spent hours and so forth in the seminaries and so forth. So I don't know how much you accomplished, but he just went from one cemetery to another cemetery. And cemeteries can kill you. Then he says in numbers, point number seven, moved to Pennsylvania, became more interested in leaving my Plymouth Brethren Fellowship and joined a Reformed Baptist church. So he's moving right along. Then he moved from a Baptist church to join a mega Presbyterian church in America. Spent nine years there. And then he became an Anabaptist and discovered biblical scholarship. Spent another nine years there. Then he left the Presbyterians to worship with the Mennonites. All of that to say this. There were countless conversions along the way. I was blessed by them all. But these Christians all explained the gospel in various ways. Among the Anabaptists, for example, the emphasis is not on justification, but upon discipleship in the way of peace. 
Among my emergent friends, the emphasis is upon following Christ. Among my FBC friends, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Among my Catholic friends, baptism and sacraments. Among my Presbyterian and Reformed friends, total depravity and election by God's free grace. But among all of them, it has been Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, he don't know what he believes or how long he's going to believe it. Do you think that you're going to stay the same unless you stay in the good, strong, sound Bible teaching? You can drift without ever knowing you're going to drift. You don't have to plan it. If I was the devil, all I have to do if I want to destroy your life is get you away from good, sound theological teaching of the Word of God. Why do you think we want to teach people what the Word of God says? You get into it, and you read it, and you study it, and you believe it. There is a difference between salvation and discipleship. You see, salvation is simply you come to Christ for salvation. Discipleship is you come after Christ. You follow Christ. So coming to Christ to be saved, and then you follow Christ in discipleship. And you can be saved and never be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. But should I be a disciple? Should I, as a child of God, should I discipline my life to be what God wants me to be? So take your Bible and turn to the book of Philippians in chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and look in verse 4. I want to give you just a few things on how to discern discipleship. Because you see, salvation is simple. It is clear. It's by faith alone and what Christ did on the cross for us. Salvation is us accepting what He did. Believing He did it for us. He paid for my sins. If He paid for all of my sins, then all of my sins are paid. I do not have to pay for any of my sins. Not even one. I deserve to pay for my sins, but Christ paid it for me. That's substitution. I didn't deserve that. But He loved me. And that shows me how much He loved me because of what He did for me. As a child of God... It is the will of God that I follow the Lord. And I believe that steps toward discipleship begins with dissatisfaction. You see, there was a time in my life when I was so dissatisfied with who I was, where I was, what I was doing, and I had no dream or vision about what to do with my life. So in most cases, with most individuals, there is no desire to grow and to do and to be unless there's some sort of dissatisfaction where you are with what you have and what you're doing or not doing. And so I enjoy watching as Christians begin to talk about how so dissatisfied they are on their job or things are not really totally just wonderful at home all the time. You see, problems make people struggle. Struggle means it makes you stronger and you find something better than what you had, than where you are. 
I, I would have never gone to Bible school if there had not been inside of me this desire that I wanted something better. I was so dissatisfied with who I was. I was dissatisfied with my whole life. And I didn't see anything getting any better. You're talking about faith is born in desperation. When there's no other physical hope, no strength left, when you don't know what you're going to do or how you're going to accomplish anything, and you realize if God doesn't do it, it can't get done. It won't get done. So here in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 4, the Apostle Paul lays out his dissatisfaction. He could say, look who I am. But he says, though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. You see, there has to be something better than what I have. When you realize and you come to the end of all of your talent, your abilities, your wisdom, and you realize, I still come up so short. How can I in this world ever be satisfied? You can't. It's impossible. You just go from one thing to the next. There's no end to it. But when I made up my mind to serve the Lord, I've been satisfied as I've watched God work in my life over the years. You know, one of the last points I have, but I just can't stand waiting that long is that discipleship produces durability. Discipleship produces durability. It makes you endure. It gives you a toughness, a strength, to do what you thought you could have never done. If there was no discipleship, and all I had was just my salvation, but no purpose for living, we would still be of all men most miserable. It's because Christ came back from the dead that my life is not useless. My faith is not useless. It's not in vain. There's a reason. There's a purpose. There's something to be accomplished. I wrote a little statement down. Your life is only as important as the thing you really live for. Your life is as valuable as the thing that you live for. What do you live for? L look what he says here in Philippians in chapter 1 and verse 19. Where Paul made this statement, For me to live is what? Is Christ. For me to live is Christ. And the reason that is so important is because Christ is of such value. Put anything else in that place, that word, and that equals your life. What keeps a man's life from being in vain 
is not to live for that which is in vain. Living for Christ is not in vain. It's the most valuable thing you can ever do. And that value is what gives value to your own life. Do you ever hear people talk about, you know, we need to have men voted into office that have values. You hear them talk about family values. And then therefore, abortion? Something's wrong here. You see, if people had personal values, then you don't take guns and shoot down little kids in a school. If you had personal strength in your values, most men wouldn't be walking off and leaving their wives and divorcing each other. It's because of a breakdown of values. But you know, true, real values comes from God. Comes from this book. But we don't need this book. See, our society, that we don't need the Bible. We don't need God. So without that, how can you have value? There is none. There is none. Outside of the Lord, there is nothing worth living for. Number two, write down, if you're writing down anything, what does God want me to become? Did you know that being a disciple of Christ, a learner, a follower of Christ, reveals to me what God wants me to become? A follower, a learner of Christ. Take that away. There's nothing left. There's nothing left. He's everything you need to be. He's everything that you want. He should be everything that you desire. When you begin asking that little question, there, there begins value and vision. There begins value and vision. Turn in your Bible to the book of Romans in chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And notice what he says. Because you'll notice that there has to be a dissatisfaction here. There also has to be vision here. There has to be purpose. If I told you, I got a clock in my office that's worth a million dollars. And I decided to sell it. And Peter Amato will only give me ten dollars for it. I was always told it's only worth what you can sell it for. What somebody willing to buy it for. That's your value of it. I haven't figured out yet why all these people on the television are always talking about buy gold, buy gold, buy gold. Well, why are they selling it? Why would you sell your gold to somebody out there if it's so valuable and going to go up, 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 up? Why would you sell yours and get that paper money so they can have that gold coin? But that's another message someplace else. That's what's I am valued 
at the price someone was not only willing to pay, but did pay. Do you realize as you look at your life, what is your value? Well, it's valued at the price somebody's willing to pay. Did you know that God sent His Son into the world and paid the ultimate price? There was no greater price that could ever be paid just for you. Did you realize that in the eyes of God, you are of more value than all the wealth in the world? God said so. He even says if a man gains the whole world and loses life, he's lost. What has he gained? He gained the whole world and lose his life. What does he gain? So his life, you, you are more important to God than you realize. Do you realize the value? Don't cheapen your life by living for something so cheap. I want my life to be a valuable life, to amount to something. And that's going to be revealed by the decisions that I make, the one that I choose to serve. He placed great value on me. I should place great value on him. Now, he says here in this verse, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world. God would not be satisfied if you become conformed to this world. As you look at your life, are you becoming conformed to the world? Or is the Lord transforming your life into something better? That's, I believe, is what it's about. What does God want me to know? What does He want me to know? In discipleship, new desires must replace the old. Look there in Philippians in chapter 3. Philippians and chapter 3. Philippians in chapter 3, I want you to know from verse 8 to verse 11. But look in verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And to be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And in verse 10, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection. To know the power of His life, must mean the death of your life. You see, they're in conflict. You have to decide, do I want his life or do I want my life? Am I willing as a child of God to say I want him to live his life freely as he wants through me? 
Or do I demand that God leave me alone and let me do what I want to do? It's my life. And therefore, you become the judge and God and jury everything in your own life. And that's why I believe that to know the power of another life, you must let go of the one that you have. True discipleship is the dynamics of the Christian life. You see, it is where you get the power to change your life. But if you don't become a disciple of Christ, you'll never have the dynamic, the power, the dynamite that explodes in your life and gives you all the power that you need to do what God wants to do and to transform you. It'll never happen. You'll just be a child of God that you go through your daily life and nothing ever happens. Nothing ever changes. Be the same way 20 years from now as you were 20 years ago. Or you can see God changing things in your life because, see, He, he, he keeps on changing you. He keeps on transforming you. He keeps on teaching. He keeps on guiding we won't take time to look at this verse because of the time. I'm trying to be aware of where we are. What does God want me to do? Discipleship. Discipleship. Gives the Christian direction. You see, when I say I want to follow the Lord, I've got direction that quick in my life. I know where I'm going. I'm following somebody. Or take that away. Take Christ out of the picture. All right, now where are you going? Who are you following? Who's your God? Who's your guide? Who's leading you? Discipleship for the child of God is everything. Yes, salvation is free. It gets you into the family of God. Gets you into heaven. You become his child. You're going to heaven when you die. All because of what Christ did for you. And you can stop right there if you want. Many Christians do. But you'll never know a dynamic life. You'll never understand. Because serving the Lord and making up your mind, this is what I want to do. It gives you direction. It has given me direction for 52 years. Because I've made up my mind. I don't care where he leads me. I don't care what he brings into my life. I don't care what he takes out of my life. I just want to be satisfied that I'm doing the will of God for my life. It's a lot easier way to live. So much simpler. I don't have to try to manipulate God or manipulate people. I don't have to try to misuse people or use them for a stepping stone to, to walk over people. I don't have to be no dictator to nobody. I want to lead as I am being led. And I want you to follow as I follow. I want you to learn as I learn. Because I want to teach you everything that I possibly can that he has taught me. 
I want to teach you to be as durable in your walk with the Lord as I've been in my walk with the Lord. If that sounds prideful and all the rest of it, that, that, that's your choice. You can believe that. I know God knows my heart. And I don't know another way or a better way to say it. If it sounds prideful, then so be it. Humility is not a position of the body. It's a position of the mind. It's a man who submits himself to the will of God. Pride is when you want to do your own thing and go your own way. And God can't tell you anything. That's pride. And God hates pride. But it's so easy to point fingers at somebody else and accuse them of the very thing that you're guilty of. You ever think of that? The last thing I wrote down is, what does God want me to enjoy? If it satisfies, it lasts. And when the days are good and when the days are bad, joy is not affected by circumstances. See, he says, my joy I give unto you. The world can't give it and the world can't take it away. Not real joy. They always say, joy is Jesus in you with nothing between. Sounds pretty good to me. Good way to look at it. Look up here very quickly. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. This is you and me, and this is sin. We all have sin on us, but God loves us. He loves you, loves me. And he says that for us to pay for sin is eternal separation from God in hell. But he doesn't want us to go to hell. He wants us to go to heaven because he loves us. But heaven is a perfect place. There's no sin there. And God says we've all sinned and come short of his perfection. So God says you can't earn your way to heaven. It's not by going to church and giving money. There's only one way to go to heaven. Our sins have to be paid. This hand represents Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Came into the world because he loves us, hates our sin because it separates us from him. So Jesus Christ took the sin, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead. So that if we would believe he did it for us, he would put this payment to our account and we get to go to heaven on what he did for us. That's salvation. That's free. That's where God gives to you and I the free gift of eternal life. And he says, these things have I written unto you that believe. You believe. That's all you have to do. That you that believe it may know you have eternal life. Know that you're going to heaven when you die. It's the best news in all the world. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, why not right now in the quietness of this moment? Just talk to the Lord and say something simple like this. Preacher, I know I'm a sinner. I don't understand that all got questions and doubt, but I believe that when Christ died, he died for me. And that I'm going to trust him right now as my only hope of going to heaven. And friend, if you will do that, just that much, I'd like to know it. And I'd like to have prayer for you. I'm not going to have you forward, not going to embarrass you, but right where you're sitting, 
If what I've said made sense to you, say, yes, it does make sense to me, and I will trust Christ right now as my only hope of going to heaven, and I'd like for you to pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Is anyone at all? Anyone at all? Our Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. We're thankful for the free gift of eternal life. We ask now, Father, your blessings upon this time together as your people, those that are saved, that have eternal life, that already know they're going to heaven. We pray, Lord, that each person here would examine their life in relationship to their discipleship. What kind of a disciple have they been? With your head still bowed and your eyes closed, you've trusted Christ as Savior. Yes, you're going to heaven. But are you the kind of disciple that God is pleased with? Is there things in your life that you need to talk to the Lord about? God says, as a child of God, yes, we can confess that. Own up to it. Because God knows it anyway. See, serving the Lord has to be done in purity, honesty. You can't do it no other way. So why not right now, if there's a reason why you need to talk to him, say, Lord, yes, I've, I've sinned against you. Name it. Tell him what it is. And Father, I know as your child, you said that if I would confess, you would forgive. And Father, we just pray that you would watch over each one here, help them to be wise. And Father, as we examine ourselves, help each one of us to do what's right. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.